Sego, Scanago. In this season of sacred teachings, we have talked about and felt the pain of many of the thefts and losses suffered by our people. But there is nothing more precious than our people, our children, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers and sisters, and our elders. And yet, we have lost so many of our people. We have lost them to violence, to disease, to the devastation of colonization and genocide. Guest host Peter Downey explores these losses in Stolen People. Thanks, Jenny. For the episode on stolen land, I suggested that this was perhaps the most profound theft. Now, as a point of friction between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples, I guess that may be true. But of course, on a personal and even a community level, nothing can come close to the loss of someone you loved. And especially when violence is associated with that loss, the wound is very deep and the hurt can last a lifetime. This episode is called Stolen People. We've all heard of the missing and murdered indigenous girls, women, boys, and men who vanish at a much higher rate than non-indigenous Canadians. There was a national inquiry, there have been numerous studies and calls for justice, not only in Canada, but about indigenous peoples around the world. This is uncomfortable subject matter, to be sure but we're going to try to find a way through the pain and loss by remembering the sacredness of traditional teachings and how, if we listen, that enduring wisdom can pull us all back to a place where no one's life is seen as unimportant, where the lives of children are cherished and they're saved from the cruel perversion of sex trafficking. This isn't wishful thinking. The guidance we need is right there in the sacred teachings. I assure you, this episode is not only about grim statistics. I was an abused woman. My mother was an abused woman. My father was an alcoholic and, and, and abused her. This is May Louise Campbell. She's a revered Anishinaabe Métis elder. She lives and works in Manitoba, where she is a teacher, a healer, and an activist. I've seen my sisters being abused. There was a lot of alcoholism and losing many of my nieces and nephews to drugs and alcohol. Do I know the damage that can be done when people are, when the spirit of people is removed from them and you are seen as garbage. You have no value, so we'll treat you that way. And, and I think that involves all women. It's not just indigenous women, but because our our experience in the world is so recent. Just always remember that. It's been in your time. It's been in the time of the, of the uh, students I sit in front of. In your time, the last residential school closed. Just stop and think about that, 1996. So how long does it take a group of humans to heal from all of that, that trauma that was done to indigenous people? It takes many generations. We're going to hear more from Elder May about her work on the National Task Force on Sex Trafficking 
and especially about how to fix the brokenness that's at the heart of stolen people by remembering the wisdom of traditional teachings. But I want you to meet someone else first. Vivian Seegers is the first Indigenous woman to be ordained in the Diocese of New Westminster. Her father was Dene from Saskatchewan, and her mother was Cree from Alberta. Reverend Seegers works now with Indigenous people on the streets of East Vancouver, but her childhood also provided great lessons. Like myself personally, I left home when I was 14 years old, and I I needed to get away from that home because there was violence, sexual abuse. Um, It was just horrible, and I was not going to go anywhere. How did you know at only 14 that you had to leave home? Because I was going to kill him if I, <laughs> my the molester, you know, I just like I actually took a knife after him, and I just knew that if I killed him, I was going to end up in jail. So I better get out of there, you know. My and I told my mom, he's got to go or I got to go. But you know, we, we're, two of us can't be under this roof. And my mom just thought I was making up stories. She would never believe that he would do something like that, you know. She's like, oh, I knew you hated him. I didn't think you hated him enough to make up that kind of a story. And and how did you how did you become who you are now? Oh, it was a long, long road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I guess um, my friend said that uh, she she we lost touch. She in grade three, and when we met on Facebook, she asked me what I was doing, and I said I'm a priest, and she said. That doesn't surprise me. You were a priest in grade three. <laughs> so I, I guess I was always running after the underdog, you know, trying to protect the one who is getting beat up all the time. And Do you understand where that inner strength comes from for you and how others can't seem to access it, whatever it is? Mm. I don't know. I suppose my mom was beat up a lot in front of me and then I had to clean up her blood. So I think um, that's saving your mom. You know, you're always out there saving your mom. That's, uh, I think that's what it is. I'm always out there trying to save my mom. Mm. When you're a child, God is your mom, right? And I guess the, the difficult truth is that even with all the dangers on the streets, it is still safer and better for these youngsters, then I, then I guess life was like for them at home. I'd much rather see, you know, a stranger get beat up and see my mother get beat up. You know, it's just so horrible. I can't imagine. I mean, I just can't imagine uh, mm-hmm. what that does to a, to a young person seeing that. And even on the street, you know, that's one young lady. She said that she went to find the old men. And she found a group of old men who were sleeping in cardboard boxes in the back alley. And so she just went and got a cardboard box and slept with them, knowing that they would protect her. And they did. She, nobody could bother her because those guys would just all put their, their cardboard boxes around her. So she found a place to be safer than at home, even though it's in the back alley in a cardboard box, you know. That's Reverend Vivian Seegers in Vancouver. Now, it was important to begin this episode with both May Louise Campbell's and Vivian Seeger's memories of childhood, as painful as they are, because those reflections are also absolutely fundamental to understanding the social and cultural architecture behind stolen people.
Once you connect the dots, the breadth and depth of the contributing factors to discarded and broken lives become shockingly clear. But you have to see those dots first. May Louise Campbell worked as an elder advisor on the National Task Force on the sex trafficking of Canadian girls. This was back in 2012 to 2014. Some of those dots were revealed to Elder May on the task force when she learned that the majority of girls trafficked in Canada were Indigenous. Part of me knew that it was happening, but for some reason... I think uh, it's an area that being human, you don't want to go there. You just don't want to go there. You don't want to believe that this could possibly be happening and the the truth of it all. I learned a lot when I was there. I learned uh, just how, uh, how large it is and how it's around the world. It's not just in your community that it's it's happening all across Canada and in, in other countries. So that really shocked me. They are abducted children and we often hear about children going missing and never did I even want go there to think you know why are children being missing and why why, why are they taking children uh, it, it really disturbed me and uh, the thought that human beings could do this is so hard to comprehend and to understand that's May Louise Campbell Now, if we take what she learned on the task force and connect that knowledge, that dot, to what Vivian Seegers sees on the streets of Vancouver every day, the brokenness becomes a little more clear. It's a different concern every day because I get a different phone call every day. So it has to do with um, addiction, poverty, all of the prostitution, um, lack of food, um, no housing. Uh, police. How can you help? What do you do? It depends if um, you know they need to be uh, find some place to go, uh, try to find them a place to stay, a safe place to stay. Sometimes I find uh, somebody who's willing to take them, and that's for the homeless. For the women, I I always go pick up a woman if it's if it's um, any of the women who are suffering from you know relationship abuse or is in the downtown east side and needs to get away you know i'll pick her up bringing food to people picking them up to take them grocery shopping if they have to or else just bring them up something that i know that they want they need furniture too i just got a call for a bed the other day an elder is is sleeping on something very hard and she can't get in and out of bed and not sleeping very well so i tried to get her to uh, get a note from her doctor that she needs a better bed and a handle to pull herself out of bed. So things like that, that they don't know that they, they, they can access that. It sounds like there's a lot of insecurity, just kind of feeling a bit off balance. Um, yeah. And not right with the world, as it, if, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah. It's, you know, this residential school legacy is um, really leaves a lot of people with no connections, no family connections, no uh, community connections, just a real sort of loss. Like, you know that song, I'm the wanderer, I'm the wanderer. You know, it just seems like everybody's wandering because nobody has any roots and there's nowhere to go. There's no place to call home. It's uh, the poverty on reserves is just so intense. 
and then they find poverty places in the urban settings. It's just so intense. What are the options? You know, the residential school, the parents, you know, they came home, became parents, these children, and they just uh, raised their children in that same terrible dysfunction, you know, the almost like kill the Indian mentality of the residential school that killed their the self-destruction that they come home with and they get married into and the destruction towards the children, destruction to each other, destruction to themselves in so many ways, you know, alcoholism, sexual abuse, violence, you know, poverty, it's just isolation, alienation, all of that is just so intense. And, uh, you know, you come out of those places learning how to kill yourselves and kill each other. And that's, we've got that over and over and over and over again. It's just like, just repeat, repeat, repeat. So we have a long, long road of reconstruction ahead. And we need every single person on board. <laughs> we can't do it alone, you know. <laughs> but my, I ask, so please, every single Anglican that sits in the pew, please find a Native person to care about. Do you think it's ever possible to break that terrible cycle? Well, I'm trying to be a, a constant source, you know, a constant connection, almost like the tether, you know, and, and I try to get them connected to a higher power, uh, a source of that is there always, you know, to try to find a, a relationship with God so that they can say that that's their tether. But as it is right now, you know, the only thing that, that when you're in that desperate state, it's got to be God with skin on. What does that mean? It means in every one of our faces. It takes a while for them to see it also. I mean, for me, I can be, uh, you know, they're what, who they see for 20 times, and they still think that I'm out to get them. And I just keep praying that somebody will show up who they will hear. If they can't hear me, I hope they hear somebody else. There's somebody that, that loves them, and they'll hear it. It's interesting you say that because I, I was going to ask you about the role of trust in in this relationship. And, and so you're saying they don't even necessarily trust you and, and what yeah. you're trying to do with them. Yeah, it takes it takes some trust building, but, you know, it's worth it. One young woman who, uh, you know, she's just got um, three children, which um, as a result of being used, you know, she's a uh, young and naive and beautiful and so guys just use her and so she gets pregnant and now she's uh, got these babies but um i stayed with her you know and i just kept staying with her i kept i gave her my phone number i said i'm available 24 7 you know it doesn't matter what you need or want it doesn't matter what time it is i'm here for you but every summer now she wants to be with me for one week we go on a camping trip and I take her out into the bush with the three babies and we just, you know, I talk to her about our Cree ways, you know, because she's Cree from Manitoba. She was adopted out, you know, she met her family once, but they were all into drugs and prostitution and, you know, tried to pull her into it. And uh, so she ran away from them. So basically, I, I am her, her tether to her culture. And, and she, and that's good for her. It grounds her, it reconnects her and she's able to get through the winter again with the, you know, phones me a couple of times if she really has to. Another lady who was uh, six from, from Ontario, homeless, 
um, living on the streets in Vancouver, and somebody dropped her at my door. Somebody bent, knocked on my door and said, here, and pushed her into my apartment and said, you got to take care of her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, I live in a one-bedroom. <laughs> uh, you can pull up a floor. And she ended up staying with me for three months. But she got off of drugs and alcohol and stayed sober, you know, and, uh, you know, she's living a, you know, she's doing the best she can. The shattered self-esteem, the sense of not belonging, of being broken, unwanted, and unknown in the universe. These are more dots to connect. At the core of stolen people is a deep, deep sense of disconnection. We have our own prophecies, and one of the ones that I repeat over and over and over again is the one where our elders said many years ago, our wise elders, that we would live in a world of separation. So that world of separation means families are separating, children are being separated from their families, communities are separating. I'm getting more calls from men than I used to before COVID. So now the young men are desperate. And uh, I have like some 17 to 25 year old boys who are getting kicked out because their parents don't want them bringing COVID home and they're not going to stay home. And so they've chosen to sleep on the streets. And, um, you know, they're good guys and I really don't want them to get lost in the cracks. So that's my my biggest concern right now, trying to find some, some way of keeping them connected. But our elders said that the greatest separation of all the separations in the world is when humans are separated from the true spirit of who we are and what it means to be human. We're totally lost and separated as a family. We don't know. We're just trying to relearn now what that means to be family and start coming together again. Our women are missing and murdered, and it all has to do with um, abuse to children uh, that came from residential school. Uh, nothing like that ever, ever was a part of who we are as First Nations people. It never was. I let them know that they do belong. They have a place. And I try to find where they belong. You know, I have one lady right now who is just so amazing as, as, an, as an administrator. I mean, computers. So, you know, I've got her volunteering with me to do my paperwork, to, to file my paperwork. Now, and I'm telling her how important she is. And, you know, and she, all she can think of all she knows about herself is that she's a drug addict and she was a prostitute and that's all she was. She's got no value at all anywhere else. And I just keep showing her that she has a place and she has value. And, you know, we're, I just got to keep on bringing her out. And it's just so sad with this COVID thing, how you can't take anybody anywhere anymore. But I still try to take her out and include her and show her that she belongs to us. She belongs in society and she's welcome. And, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a, it's a hard thing to, to convince people when we're native and there's so much racism going on, but I'm pretty persistent. Because you have broken parents, you see. Your parents who have that a residue of residential school and colonization that broke the spirit of our, of our people. These people are now come out of residential school with um, no thought or knowledge of who they are, except they were savages and had to be, had to, uh, had to be healed from the savagery <laughs> and had to be Christianized and start thinking like white people. 
So the damage was done. I see it in, in people, our own people who have been educated, who have good jobs, who are doctors, who are lawyers, who have wonderful jobs. They still hold the brokenness in their spirit because they have still lost their identity, many of them. We're only now moving in the direction of reclaiming that spirituality and the, the way, uh, the wisdom and the knowledge that our people lived at one time. You need to be seen by them. And there's nowhere to be seen by them right now because of COVID. And so where can they find the help if they can't see anybody too? If they only see the ones who are locked in it with them, how are they going to see their way out? So the vital question of finding your way out has a few answers. The first comes from Reverend Barb Shumsky. She has been at the forefront of drawing attention to the tragedy of missing and murdered Indigenous girls and women in this country. For over 30 years, in fact, she's been working as a chaplain on the streets and in the hospitals of Winnipeg. And she doesn't hesitate to point to a solution. It's always uh, people that go back to school. And there's a lot of good people, that, you know, a lot of young uh, Aboriginal, Métis, social workers that are really working hard driving them back into school and say, we're not getting anywhere. We have to be educated. We have to be smarter than that. And so that gives them, you know, a little push. That's Reverend Barb Shumsky in Winnipeg, who's worked tirelessly to help those who find themselves in difficulty and in need of assistance. And if you doubt that she and others make a difference... Listen to Tannis Ryan, a survivor, who spoke at a large church gathering a couple of years ago. And you know what? If those people hadn't come out to me, I probably wouldn't have walked in your church. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have walked in the church. And the church that I hang, go to is the Salvation Army, and the pastor there was Danielle, uh, Danielle Strickland. And, and I remember standing at the doorsteps of that church, and there's like 25 steps away. There's a corner there where I used to call my office. And I said, it took me 35 years to go 25 feet. 35 years to go 25 feet. But I couldn't have done that without people that reached out to me, were his hands, came out of the church, met me where I was at, valued and loved me where I was at. I know there's been some heavy issues and stuff here this weekend, and I applaud you for even bringing, for discussing them. Because if we don't have those uncomfortable discussions and we don't have those conversations, nothing changes. That story reminds me of what the Greek dramatist Aeschylus wrote. He said, in our sleep, pain which we cannot forget falls drop by drop on the heart until against our will and in our own despair comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. So something as simple as just seeing each other is a significant part of the solution. But sometimes even that isn't so simple. You know, I have people in Winnipeg that say they've never seen an Aboriginal person. That's craziness! Unless you just drive down the street, you know, walk down the street. You know, we have, we have the largest population of Aboriginal people, a city in Winnipeg, and they don't see us. Some of us get in the way, so... <laughs> That's Barb Shumsky again in Winnipeg. You know, we can learn a lot about getting in the way from people like Barb and Vivian Seegers in Vancouver. 
but the past also provides illumination and promise. Elder May Louise Campbell finds hope in the traditional ways of being with each other. Before contact, our culture was designed to celebrate children, and that's what we did. We did that from the time the child was growing in the mother's body till it was born, till every step of the way. We had beautiful ceremonies, what we call rites of passage ceremonies for our children. So every baby was celebrated that came into the community. Everything was towards women and children in our culture, in our traditional ways. At that time, there would never have been any, any abuse at all to children. Children were gifts from our Creator. That was the teaching. Our culture, our tradition, our children were so important. I believe that we have to teach our children about sacredness and, and spirituality at a young age. It doesn't, you know, because life, it's not about religion. It's about spirituality. You know, religion can take us in many different directions as well. But it's about spirituality, which is being totally human. And it's not my way is right and your way is wrong and you have to do it this way. You've got to believe this way. And so it's not about that. It's about coming together as human beings and doing what's right for the next generation. It's because we've forgotten what true love is. What is true love? That has to happen. We don't know what that is anymore. And being uh, a divine, sacred human and teaching our children that is, we don't talk about those things anymore. And, and that's the kind of language we have to bring back to, to the human race, because that's the separation you see. And we have been separated from our true spirit as humans. Our people said many years ago, there will come a day when the human race will turn to indigenous philosophy and spirituality because what their, their way is not working either. And it's because we're separated, you see, from the spirit of our earth mother, our grandfather, which is grandfather's son, grandmother moon, and what we call all our relations. We would do nothing from the time we got up in the morning till we went to bed at night where we did not give prayer and gratitude and gifts and love back to the Earth Mother and all our relations every day for all that they have given us. The final word belongs to Vivian Seegers in Vancouver with an explanation to the woman she did her best to protect and love. Uh, she always wanted me to make a good income and, and take care of myself and have some baths and wear nice clothes. At her deathbed, I said to her, Mom, you know, helping poor people, there's no money in it. And that's okay. I don't need it. Because they really need somebody to be there with them. And I think God's okay with that. I think you're going to be okay with that when you meet God too. <laughs> So I tried to tell her not to be worried about my poverty. Justice Murray Sinclair, in talking about reconciliation, said the road we travel is equal in importance to the destination we seek. You know, I don't think that applies to just reconciliation. It also fits pretty well with recovering stolen people. The destination that remarkable women like Barb Shumsky, Vivian Seegers, and May Louise Campbell seek is justice and fairness and healing. From the latest crisis on the streets of Winnipeg or Vancouver to the sacred teachings, centuries old, their extraordinarily difficult and inspiring work on the long and bumpy road to get there is, 
Well, it's just monumental. That's the only word that comes to mind. This has been the final episode of Season 4 of Sacred Teachings. For Lisa Barry and Ben Davis, I'm Peter Downey. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Peter, and all you wonderful women for helping us understand stolen people. When I was in high school, I had to write a paper on man's inhumanity to man. I had to read several books, and one of them was Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr. It opened my heart to the inhumanity that black people endured and still endure today. We are still living in a world of inhumanity. Archbishop Mark McDonald has talked about our need to reclaim our humanity as indigenous people and as people of faith. The theft of indigenous people has been going on for centuries, not years or decades, but centuries. Now that we have a better sense of the why, how can we end it? In essence, we have to connect the dots, as Peter said. You have heard that many indigenous people have lost their way, have lost their values. Restoring the value of one leads to the restoring the value of all. It can, as Vivian said, start by being with one person who is struggling, perhaps on the edge of becoming stolen. A wise woman once told me that if I touch the heart of one person, I will have done a lot. We can stay in place, be in our comfort zone, or we can reach out to love and grow the spirituality of our people in despair. In Mohawk, we have the word Kunalunkwa. It's a love that comes from the ancestors. It's about doing and taking care of our people, of each other, and in a good way. To paraphrase the Navajo blessing way, it's this. With love before me, I walk. With love behind me, I walk. With love above me, I walk. With love around me, I walk. It is completed in love. Chief Sitting Bull Lakota said, let us put our hearts and minds together and see what kind of life we can make for our children. Sacred Teachings will be back on November 30th with stories of hope and light. Hope to see you then. Now, eh?